Hello everyone and welcome to itsyourseason.life where we are discovering and living life at any age. I'm Lisa Boson. I'm here to introduce you to people like you and me who have rediscovered themselves, stretched their abilities, and to me, kept their light under a bushel basket. I hear their stories and think, wow, that is so cool. These are ordinary people doing the extraordinary. So what are we doing? Well, you know how you'd love to hear your peers succeed, get inspired by those who just try? That's us. That's itsyourseason.life. Don't forget to follow us on our website, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. I'm there sharing weekly updates and, of course, what's in season, be it people, food, feelings, and nature. So let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of It's Your Season.Life podcast series, where we interview interesting people who bring inspiration to our lives. My guest today is KT Thompson. Um, I met KT. She is a beekeeper, and I'm a beekeeper, but she's a much better beekeeper than I am. She is truly an expert, um, and we're going to hear a lot about that, as well as what gets her going and uh, inspires her every single day. She has a Master's of Science in Biology through the University of Nebraska at Kearney. She recently heard that her research manuscript has been accepted for publication in the Journal of Apiculture Science. So there you go. She is she is studying the art and science of beekeeping. It is not just for men, ladies, okay? So she started teaching and mentoring other beekeepers. She's done everything except take the exam to become a certified journeyman beekeeper. She is also a science teacher. That is her primary job, and we're going to hear more about that, as well as she is taking time to help us understand her motivations and also help us be motivated to continue to live life to the fullest. So thank you so much, KT, for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me, Lisa. Yeah. Um, So um, I read a little bit about your bio, shared it, but tell us how you would like to get started on this this discussion journey today. Well, I I don't know if I can really answer that question because this is all new to me. I... uh, you asked me to do this and I, it just happened to come at a time when I was really trying to be intentional about taking time to say yes to things that are for me. I spend a lot of time working on other people's projects and making sure I'm available for, uh, you know, the family farm and things like that. And I decided that I was going to try to be more intentional about taking time to do things that I wanted to do this year. And so here I am. Oh, I, I really appreciate it because I, um, you have a wonderful story and, and I appreciate you wanting to share it with us today. So you're, you're, you're from Colorado. Tell us about that. Kind of what, where, and how, and here we are. So I grew up on the Eastern Plains, uh, mo- mostly in the I-70 corridor, uh, farming, and we had a pretty good dryland farm. We raised wheat and corn and sunflowers and millet and, you know, whatever we had moisture for, we would try. Uh, We also had cows and my family's been sheep people for a long time. Um, I don't even know if I can tell you how many generations because I don't know where it started. (laughs) So we have quite a lot going on and every time one season ends, there's another season to start and... Um, going to school, I would spend my summers farming and, you know, in the wintertime, my breaks and weekends were all farming or working with the animals and, uh, 
so I didn't I didn't really have a lot of time as a kid to really investigate things that I might like mm -hmm. and you know kids now I, as a teacher I can tell you kids now do so many things and especially in rural schools we have kids that are in every single club they could possibly be in and so they have all this opportunity to see where they fit and see what they like and and try out different things and then they go to college ready to do that but I didn't grow up that way I grew up working on the family farm and when I went to college I came back and worked on the family farm all the time too so I didn't go to college and branch out quite as much as most people do I guess mm -hmm. and so I ended up with my degree degree in microbiology from CSU which I really like academics I thoroughly enjoy learning about new topics and especially hands-on things and you know science is one of those things where you have lab classes and you get to do experiments and if you have an idea you're encouraged to pursue it and see where it goes so that's just kind of always been a passion I think is science mm -hmm. and I I didn't really have any formal opportunity to see that passion for myself because I spent my whole life farming and school was something I did because I I had to um, and I was good at academics so of course I went to college but uh, after I graduated from college I came back and was working on the farm and ended up um, dad had a hard time deciding what level of responsibility he was comfortable with me having at that point I think so he would give me a project and then he'd be frustrated with how I decided to get it done so uh, about a year later I ended up pursuing another job and I ended up as a phlebotomist in Fort Collins hmm. and mm -hmm. that was a good job for me as far as it took me out of everything I knew and put me in a place where I had to interact with people and make them happy for me to stick a needle in their arm mm -hmm. so um, I wasn't really the type to ever get a job waitressing or anything like that but as a phlebotomist I had to have customer service skills and be able to talk to people and ensure they were comfortable and that they had what they needed and take care of people and so that was really a good place for me to learn social skills that mm -hmm. I really hadn't exercised before mm -hmm. and it ended up being kind of a frustrating place to work because a lot of the folks that worked there at the time were um, I don't know maybe less serious about it being a real healthcare position mm -hmm. and so what they did on their breaks and, and things like that wasn't always lined up to be the most responsible as far as being ready to be back and be prepared to take care of people and there was one day when I was just so frustrated with the team of people that I was working with that I wrote a letter of resignation and left and was was gone. I had already asked for my my PTO for spring planting to come back and help my family put in our spring crops and that last day I was just so frustrated that I wrote my letter of resignation and cleaned out my locker and didn't go back. Yeah, so sometimes we have those moments in life where it's like, that's, that, 
it's not working for me. So what happened next where you're at the farm? um, How did you transition into your next career? One of the things that I had realized at my job as a phlebotomist was that I didn't, it's not just that I enjoyed science, but I, I liked sharing science with other people. Any opportunity where I, I could train someone or explain something to them was something that I really enjoyed doing and it, it came naturally to me. So I didn't really realize it until I had new trainees coming to me to ask me questions instead of the people that were supposed to be training them. And it, it wasn't that the people who were supposed to be training them weren't doing their job. I think it was just that I was more approachable because I wasn't, I wasn't in a position necessarily above them, but I could answer their questions and be a reliable source of information. And so that got, that had already gotten me to thinking about, well, I enjoy teaching. You know, I, I taught in the, I was a TA in the animal anatomy lab at CSU, my, my time there. And I really enjoyed that and did that multiple semesters. And so it, it kind of all finally settled into place where I understood that about myself. And then as, as I was growing more frustrated before I actually had that final epiphany moment and was done with that job, I had actually started interviewing for teaching positions, but I hadn't heard back from any of them yet. And I had quite a few interviews scheduled that hadn't happened yet. So I was leaving that job with no, no security, I guess, and no, no confidence, no real confidence that I was going to end up with the job that I wanted. Uh, I didn't go to school to be a teacher. I wasn't licensed for teaching. So I was really banking that somebody would have confidence in me and help me get licensed to the alternative licensure program. What I, and and disagree or agree, but sometimes our first jobs are not perfect, but, um, but we learn something about ourselves that that actually maybe uh, helps us understand why, what we are better suited for. You know, I think sometimes when we go through high school, there's a push to, uh, really figure out what your career is going to be. And what I find fascinating is when, you know, it may not be the perfect first job, but I've learned something for you. I'm hearing that I'm, 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 I can be a, a point of reference. I'm good at teaching. I like sharing my knowledge. And that helped you consider um, teaching, you know, being a high school teacher, moving you in that direction. Is thoughts about that or... Um, no, I totally agree with that statement. I I didn't have first jobs until I was already an adult. I mean, I did stuff as I was going through high school and helped out with projects and did community service and stuff, but I never really had a job other than working on the family farm until I was a graduated adult done with CSU. And... So I didn't have that experience as a teenager or even as a young adult in college. I got that experience after college because that was my first real job. And it it served exactly that same purpose, even though I was 21 years old and already graduated. So, you know, your, your parents might say, she worked, her job was on the farm. And so... That's exactly. Yeah, and so I think, you know, the farm skills 
just t- let's take a little bit deeper dive into growing up on a farm and, and what impact that had positive, negative, however far you want to go with it. Uh, because Colorado is an agricultural state. I love, I love what our state has to offer in regards to agriculture and farming. And a lot of it's going away. A lot of it's coming back with our younger farmers, uh, with our younger farmers. But, but tell me kind of what, what do you, what do you, what is your experience? I mean, a lot of us have never grown up with people who've grown up on a farm. So mm-hmm. what is, what are some thoughts you want to share about that? Kind of whichever, whichever way you want to go. So my family's farm was big enough that the whole family plus our employees, that's Mm -hmm. what we did. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I didn't do 4-H or anything like that because I had sheep that actually went to market as a, Mm -hmm. as a teenager and a Mm -hmm. junior high aged kid. So Mm -hmm. I didn't do the activities that are set up to help kids learn agriculture because Mm -hmm. I was already doing it on a bigger Mm -hmm. scale than that. Mm -hmm. And so I never had the op- opportunity, I guess, to try to end up with a grand champion lamb or something and mm-hmm. and, mar- and let it go to sale and have some nice philanthropist put a whole mm-hmm. bunch of money in my bank account for college, like mm-hmm. some kids involved in those organizations get now. Mm-hmm. But in all honesty, even if I had tried to be involved, I don't think I would have met the expectations of the organization to end up with a grand champion lamb because the production agriculture doesn't have the same focus on perfecting an individual animal Mm -hmm. the way those organizations do. Mm -hmm. And it's not a bad thing for kids to spend time doing, and it's Mm -hmm. a good way for kids to get comfortable with livestock and Mm -hmm. and to build a relationship with their animals and to understand that they're living things that need to be treated well and respected. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, on the other end of it, I didn't have time to do that because I had a whole pen full of lambs to worry about and make sure that they were well cared for and happy so and healthy. So one of the things that I'm that, that in our discussion, um, you say you're a 35 year old adult who is allowed to drive off into the sunset and make spur of the moment decisions. Where did that come from, KT? Growing up on the farm, was not a good opportunity for me to learn to be impulsive because mm-hmm. it was the the correct response growing up was always well I'll have to check and see what we're doing tomorrow and when you ask dad well what's the plan tomorrow he always has a plan and everybody's working in this plan so there was never an opportunity for me growing up to just go hang out with my friends and spend an extra two hours there i was expected to be back because there was something waiting for me to that needed to get done Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so that's been something that's been really difficult for me to learn as an adult and i think that if i had found someone that i wanted to date as a young lady i probably wouldn't have really taken dating seriously just because there was always stuff to do and my priority that's so ingrained in me is to get the chores done and to be back and be ready for that Mm -hmm. because that's that's the way i grew up Mm -hmm. and that work is so fulfilling but at the same time if you take a day off then now the when you come back you have things stacked up that Mm -hmm. need to get done and you just spent a day out i don't know walking around with your friends or something instead of getting something accomplished and so that that feeling of 
of, you know, it's not really urgency, but that just constant feeling that I need to be doing something mm -hmm. is just so ingrained in who I am because that's how I grew up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we forget to take pause if we're, and it's not good or bad, it's just the way we were raised, but also having some balance in life of uh, maybe it's okay to take pause and um, you don't have to be doing something every moment of the day. I mean, I, I'll tell you, that's the way I was raised. You don't get to sit. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So you have to you have to be doing something. Yes, and, and um, it's it's not that my family never took pause, but it mm -hmm. was that pause was always on Dad's schedule because he was the one coordinating everything. Mm -hmm. So I didn't get to say, "Oh, I want to go to this air show with my friend," mm -hmm. because it it was on it was not the dad day Dad had scheduled to be off for the week. So. So one of the reason uh, when we re when I rebranded a couple years ago, my uh, the individual I was working with says, you know, you tr think about it's your season as as kind of your theme that you know as we go through, uh, you know, we have different seasons of life. Whether it you want to count it by the decades of you know one through twenty, trying to just trying to get through high school and and whatever the next step is to their twenties of exploring to. You know, the season of our 30s when, you know, life is really potentially blossoming for us and we're experiencing and being able to consider driving off into the sunset and making spur-of-the-moment decisions. It's, uh, but also kind of grounding ourselves and, God, this is kind of where I am and this is, I have so much potential and this is what I'm, uh, I'm hearing from you and your story, which I want to get into the beekeeping. Um, <laughs> so, because, you know, it's, People are more interesting, I think, when they have different lives, and you have you have kept some of your prior life with the farming, and mm -hmm. um, but then um, but you've you've continued on. Um, so you said something that was really resonated with me, and that's what about the animals and growing up on a farm, and the animals are you know need to live well and be respected and so let's let's take that into the animal of beekeeping even though it's not really an animal they um, totally are an animal i'm a scientist <laughs> i'll tell you biology insects are animals i i, I just um tell me how you how did bees come into your life so seven or eight years ago i'd have to do the math i don't want to right now um I bought a hive for my dad for Father's Day. It's something that he had always talked about with this like sense of wonder. And I know he enjoys eating, like just eating honeycomb, like just eating it mm. with a spoon. So uh, I, my thought was, you know, this will be something neat. We'll, we'll enjoy this. We can learn about this together. And so I bought a hive for dad. And the original plan was that maybe we'd try to catch a swarm or something because we'd have we've had some swarms of bees here on the farm and thought maybe we'd be able to catch one and that didn't work out the first year so then we bought bees to put in it but at that same time i had bees lined up to put in this box and dad also bought bees so then we ended up with two hives to start with and uh, for a while we did that together um, and then dad had a, an accident on the farm. Um, he was trying to close a big door and the wind caught the big door and it knocked him back. And he, he had already had a knee replacement, but it shattered his kneecap over his knee replacement. And wow. that was a, 
a long recovery. He struggled with some infections and, and he is much better now. The infections I think are a thing of the past. Um, but for a long time, he couldn't stand long enough to do a hive inspection. So it, it was something that kind of fell off of his radar. And while he was recovering, I was helping with the farm and managing the bees. And somehow I've ended up with 24 or 25 hives right now. And I just love it. I, I was put in a position where I needed to pursue eight, 18 more credits. I already had a MBA, but I didn't have enough credits in biology to teach my college biology classes that I teach. And so I needed to pursue some credits in biology and I decided to do that through UNK based on their tuition and the fact that I didn't have to be on campus. You know, we, we have some great universities here in Colorado, but UNC, which was my second choice, requires you to be on campus and that just wasn't going to work for me based on my other obligations and involvements and farming. So I chose UNK and that was really nice and really flexible and totally online and it provided me an opportunity to do a real master's science project. Um, it, it's not like a thesis that I had to defend but I have recently learned that it passed peer review and should eventually end up in the Journal of Apicultural Science somewhere. But uh, I was pursuing those graduate level credits at the same time I was really starting to learn about my bees and become fascinated with the research and the science behind what's going on there. And UNK just allowed me to focus on that in my projects and my presentations and my research project. And so that was a really neat opportunity for me to really get into the science behind honeybees. And then just as I was finishing that, Tina Sebastian oh, yes. was at that at that point, she was the vice president of the Colorado State Beekeepers Association. And she was pushing out her version of the journeyman beekeeper program because mm -hmm. she was trying to get that revived and was starting to schedule speakers. And I thought, oh, that's a great way for me to kind of transition as I'm finishing up my degree and I don't have too much work to do. Now I can like attend these little online Zoom classes and listen to speakers talk about bees and learn some more about bees. And so I decided to join that program just to, I guess, extend what I was already doing. And that has been a really neat opportunity to learn about bees, but also to become involved. Um, you talk about me like, like I'm this great beekeeper, but I'm really a new beekeeper. I just have pursued learning about bees and between that and the people that I've met doing that it's put me in a position where I have picked up some responsibility in some of the beekeepers associations and and I've met a whole lot of people frankly I, I've attended some of your, uh, your your class online particularly the one that resonated with me was using your microscope to look at the bee parts and the parts of the anatomy of the bees that's a better way to put it bee anatomy 
And first of all, I was like, how did she do that? And then I realized, you know, you know, your background, I'm like, she probably has all the little setup there and we can go in and voyeur in on her microscope. But I just thought that was so fascinating and so important to share. And, uh, you know, so you can be, as some of my friends say, you can be a beehaver, be a beekeeper. And, but being a beekeeper really <laughs> does require research and reading and understanding and, and and um, collaborating with, and speaking with other people about beekeeping because it, there is a science and an art to it. Um, mm-hmm. So you are uh, the president of the Eastern Colorado Beekeepers Association. I don't remember if I said that. And you're also on as a board of advisor for the Colorado State Beekeepers Association. So um, what... What what would you like people from your experience as a beekeeper to know? What what should they? What are what what's the good, the bad, and the, what what you know, and the fun of yeah. of being a beekeeper? What are some important things that you would want people to know? Well, going back to literally what you just said about by being a beekeeper or being a beehaver, for for all of the information out there and the step by step procedures you can find out there. There is, I mean, there's value in those things. And those are great tools to learn what you're doing with your bees or how to get something accomplished with your bees. But understanding the biology behind why those things work is mm-hmm. what makes you a good beekeeper. Mm-hmm. And so and I don't think that we will ever know everything there is to know about bees. And uh, I think it was Anna Heck from the University of Michigan. She's an extension agent there. Uh, I think it was her who said something about education of beekeepers is a prime factor in the survival of the hives under their care. Mm-hmm. So not just, oh, I could follow the instructions. I put the bees in the box and I take their honey and, you know, this is what the thing says to do this month mm-hmm. in the beekeeping calendar. Mm-hmm. But understanding what's going on in your hive and being able to look at the clues and read what's going on. Um, I think actually Dewey Karen does kind of a neat presentation on how to read your hives. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think those are really important pieces to be able to look in your hive and think about biologically what's going on and how you can manage that from a biologic perspective to make sure your bees are healthy um, and I, th- I think understanding it from that perspective is a good way to be respectful of your bees because rather than trying to force them into doing something that's not natural for them, you get, you're just taking advantage of their biological tendencies and their biological programming. And I think that makes us better beekeepers when we learn how to accomplish things that way and also helps keep our bees healthy. So I was reading in Bee Culture, I can't remember if it was June or July, because I'm always a month behind or two, but there was an <laughs> article about native and wild bees, and, you know, people, there's such hype about um, the honeybees, but, you know, honeybees are really domesticated animals, mm-hmm. and that's how we, we need to, and we're trying to replicate what is in nature with as a domesticated, putting them in a box, and, you know, trying to replicate what's happening in nature. Um, and so the article is very similar to what you're talking about is, um, you know, there's so much observation and that, that goes on and it's, there's nothing quick about doing a hive check, (laughs) 
<laughs> so, and having good observational skills, like you're saying, is so important to know biologically what's happening. What are you seeing? And I know my bee mentor has said that so many times. <laughs> what are you seeing, Lisa? What are you seeing? Mm-hmm. And um, because it's it's not easy. It's not a good housekeeping magazine article on it's easy to have bees in your backyard. Um, so tell me a little bit about what, what's been your best experience with beekeeping and then what was maybe one of your worst kind of disappointing, but it happens kind of thing. So I think probably let's start with my worst one. Cause this one, this one hurt my feelings the most, I think. Mm-hmm. And so I was still a fairly new beekeeper and had built up my hives pretty strongly. Cause I knew I was going to be taking bees for my research project th- that I was doing for UNK at the time. And I had built up my hives pretty good and then taken bees out of them for this research project. And I thought that everything was okay and I'll check in a couple weeks and see what's going on. And it was the day I was gonna be inspecting them and I'm out getting ready to do inspections and my two biggest hives issued swarms. <gasps> oh. And I don't even have my bee suit on yet. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. <laughs> and I was there. I climbed up in the tree and and got them down. And by the way, Lisa, I do not do ladders, but I climbed up a ladder for bees. So I don't know. But I don't know what that says about me or beekeepers in general. But <laughs> um so I I really realized that, uh, you know, it's not just about what I think, it's, there's more behind it too. And I really should have checked sooner than two weeks, because two weeks was just the right amount of time for them to raise a new queen and send out the old queen with the swarm. So that, that really hurt my feelings as far as, uh, oh, I don't know. Tina Sebastian, I'm going to name her again. She, she likes to say, well, there's no humble beekeepers. And <laughs> it's because the bees keep us humble. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then best moments, I don't know. I, I do this thing to myself where I'm either raising bees and taking bees and then like not, not producing any honey because I'm raising bees for research or this spring. Uh, I knew quite a few people who needed replacements, and so I pulled nukes for sale this spring. And so I don't know that I'll get much honey this year, but I really think that getting a good honey harvest will be a really big, I don't know, I don't know if it'll be an ego boost or just something that feels good, you know. Uh-huh. Um, but I do remember the first time that I actually had frames of honey to harvest. I had taken a little bit here and there, but I hadn't ever really needed an extractor. Mm -hmm. And the first time I needed an extractor was such an exciting experience. It just felt like I'm really doing this now. (laughs) (laughs) I, 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 I completely relate to that. There is this... You know, leave some, leave, leave honey bees first. And then when you get extra, it's such a, oh my God, I must have taken good care of them because they gave me some extra, you know? Oh, wow. Um, You have 24, do you still have 24 hives? I do. That's how many I have now. I think 24. It might be 25. I didn't do a good job of tallying here. Wow. That's still a lot. I have three and then my poor, my three are doing great, but they keep me busy and I, 
I just can't imagine what's that's 24 is a business kt <laughs> it, it is i so my bees have not made me a ton of money but they are making the hobby mm-hmm. totally worth the time that it takes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um for example the summer or the spring i managed to buy a little pickup and now i have a vehicle that it's totally okay that i get propolis all over <laughs> It's not a nice pickup. It's not a big pickup, but it's okay that I get it sticky. Okay, so tell tell our audience in case there's non-beekeepers out there what propolis is. So propolis is plant resin that, that the bees gather, and it's really important for the health of a hive because it's got a lot of antibacterial micro- and antimicrobial properties, mm-hmm. but also they just use it to seal their hive off, and so it helps them with their housekeeping, and it helps keep them healthy and mm-hmm. boosts their immune system a little bit because they don't have to fight off, you know, some bacteria that's growing in the corner of the wood of the nest because that's all sealed off. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's sealed off with antimicrobial healthy stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, plants make a lot of chemicals that we, you know, we like to reference phytochemicals, but really there's a lot of things that plants make that can be pretty healthy and the bees have kind of mastered the art of deciding what to bring home. And do you uh, are you doing anything with extra propolis yourself, or making tinctures or anything like that? Like some, I know some beekeepers do, but I so kind of I have kind of made a propolis tincture, but I I didn't really get that serious about using it. Mm-hmm. Um, I I do have a friend who takes propolis capsules. Mm-hmm. daily mm-hmm. and she's asked me to trap propolis and then we fill the little empty gel capsules for her mm-hmm. uh, but uh, beyond that mm-hmm. it's not anything major so for those that are not beekeepers propolis is very sticky it's hard to get off <laughs> but you <laughs> it's hard yes. to complain about it when you know it's good for your bees and you just get a new pair of gloves every year it gets on your suit it gets on your steering wheel it gets everywhere <laughs> Yes. And that's the good stuff. There's beekeepers like Joe Comparta has a recommendation. I don't remember what it is of a a cleaner that's Mm -hmm. safe to spray on your suit that will help dissolve the propolis. Um, I just let the propolis stain my suit. And then I use, I, I work my bees in nitrile gloves. That's a new thing. I tried it and I don't even know why I would go back to leather gloves. (laughs) Oh, I'll, 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 uh, I will Facebook message you for that one. I'd, I'd heard yeah. the nitrile gloves, but I'm not exactly sure what, uh, what model, what style, how thick to get. I do have a quick question. What's the mm-hmm. man, what's your manuscript title? What was the focus of your manuscript that will be published? So my manuscript title is supplemental feeds and foraged corn grain dust. A comparison of the number of days survived in vitro by young adult honeybees. And really I just took because bees will gather whatever they can when there's not pollen for them to gather and so here on the farm that's dust off of the cracked corn Mm -hmm. down by the feed stalls and so I had you know 10 hives at at, you know when I was really noticing that this was serious 10 hives going down there and gathering cracked corn in February on a nice day when nothing else is blooming here we don't have silver maple or any of those trees that make pollen early here out on the plains um Maybe somebody with a nice tree line that's developed those species of trees does, but in my neck of the woods, we don't have those things. And so the bees go after the corn grain dust and bring it back. And I had two groups of answers coming. One was, oh yeah, they'll do that. They eat it. 
And one was, oh yeah, they'll get it because they think it might be pollen, but they just throw it out because it's trash. And so I'm looking at the number of bees that are carrying this back to the hive and thinking about the volume of this corn grain dust. And I realized that I'm not seeing it kicked out at the entrance. If they were getting rid of it and not consuming it, it would be kicked out of the entrance. Sure. And wow. Yeah, I could even pick bee bread out of the comb inside the cell where they had, you know, bee bread is how bees store pollen. They put it in the cells and it kind of undergoes some fermentation, but it's not... Uh, recently they've decided that fermentation is not really important nutritionally, mm -hmm. but I could pick bee bread out of the honeycomb or out of the wax comb and it tasted like corn. So they were, they were taking it back and treating it just like pollen and consuming it. And so I, um, couldn't find any information on this and did a study where basically I fed them different diets of corn grain dust or pollen substitute to compare how they did on that. And them eating corn grain dust does not kill them any faster in an incubator than, than them eating protein supplement. Well, that's They're fascinating. My mouth is sitting here wide open. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had no idea. Yeah. Um, and what an interesting probably, discovery. Yeah, there's probably some long-term implications because it's not good protein for them so mm -hmm. there's probably some long-term implications maybe the next generation of bees is not mm -hmm. as robust mm -hmm. but maybe that's what helps them survive through a darth if they eat what whatever they can find that's better than nothing sure I, you know i think people don't you know uh, the nutrition and foraging uh, capabilities you know that the environment is so important to not just honeybees, but bees in general, that, you know, they're losing so much of their their habitat for forage and food. And on the plains, um, it's, it's not like here in, nor in northern Colorado, we at least have, you know, uh, trees and flowers and gardens and things like that. But on the plains, it can be a little more challenging, especially with like a trees. So that is, that is absolutely fascinating. Wow. Okay. I will close my mouth and uh <laughs> hope our audience learns something about bees that uh you know it's it's uh that, that is fascinating okay so i want to switch topics i want to kind of shift a little bit um because you know we shift in life you know we've got to kind of get our gears for whatever you know is coming down our path and sometimes it's intentional sometimes we have to um kind of understand where we're in life and what changes we have to make to be happy and productive and um so what has kind of been one of your important shifts in your life i think probably the first important shift was quitting that first job as a phlebotomist and like mm -hmm. really realizing what might be a good fit for me and and i can tell you that i've i have kept the job that I got after that. I still teach at the same high school in the same position. Um, and lately there's been some challenges and I have had some struggle overcoming some of those challenges. And I think part of that is that I'm not as well rooted in myself as I could be. Mm -hmm. I, I spend my weekends on the farm and I'm always focused on other people's needs at school and I don't take the time to breathe and just be myself and do things for myself. So making sure that I am aware of 
well, where, what do I want to do? Mm-hmm. And not, I'm trying to find that balance, obviously, between being selfish and t- taking care of myself. But, you know, in teaching, even, there's been kind of this movement towards self-care. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you'll, you can find little video clips and things about how, you know, you, you can't be a good resource for your students if you're not in a good place yourself. Mm-hmm. And so being more conscious of what am I doing and am I being constructive overall with what I'm choosing to do for myself or, or hopefully what I'm not choosing to do for myself. Mm-hmm. Cause that, that tends to be where I lie is I will choose to not do things for myself in favor of getting somebody else's chores done or to serve someone else. Mm-hmm. And I think that being in that position where I can say, well, you know, I, I get to dictate my schedule a little bit too. I mean, I'm an individual. I am not 24 seven, somebody else's, uh, go to for something Mm -hmm. and remembering that it's okay for me to have my own project and beekeeping has been really integral in that for me because Mm -hmm. it's something that can't be neglected. Bees are livestock. They need to be respected and well cared for. And so Mm -hmm. not taking care of the bees is not really an option. Mm -hmm. I mean, it probably is an option, but Mm -hmm. I'm, I don't consider it one. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's that you care for your bees. Absolutely. So, you know, I think you, you hit right on the money. Sometimes, you know, we say yes so many times. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a no. It can just be a not right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what are some things that you've enjoyed exploring and doing for yourself? Um, really, the biggest thing has been beekeeping. But mm-hmm. just little things like, you know, the 4th of July is a strangely timed holiday for people who have dry land wheat, mm-hmm. especially in Colorado. You know, in Kansas, they're spending their 4th of July in the wheat field probably harvesting their wheat and then here in colorado we're approaching and maybe just starting depending on the year our wheat harvest Mm -hmm. so we don't always have any time for for going to a fireworks display or hanging out at a barbecue or anything Mm -hmm. like that and Mm -hmm. so fourth of july has not been a holiday that my family has really celebrated but this year i you know my bee club had a a parade entry and a float in our in buyers here and so I was at the booth I was in charge of putting the bees in the observation hive mm-hmm. and we're sitting there getting ready to pack up and somebody says hey you want to swing by and and have some food and hang out for a while and uh, my instinct was to say no mm-hmm. I need to go put the bees back out of the observation hive and I need to do this and that and that but I resisted that urge and it was really rewarding just to hang out and have productive conversations with other adults Mm -hmm. and eat good food with other adults Mm -hmm. and be social for a minute. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just social. I mean, Mm -hmm. some of the people uh, that were there are wicked smart. So there was some good conversation too. Mm -hmm. And it's, I don't know that, that sense of balance and what's important, it's really mm-hmm. easy to neglect being social, mm-hmm. but that's really important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this last year particularly taught us taking pause to be social mm-hmm. and uh, just experience other people. That's why you and I are here today. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. I, I really, I just so appreciate you taking taking time to do this today. And this was one of your yeses. Um, I want to hear about the kombucha. Yes. So <laughs> I this is a new thing that I started this winter. Mm-hmm. I um, had somebody who's a friend who gave me a, a SCOBY off of theirs. And the, it's a symbiotic culture of bacteria and yeast. And you, you brew a tea with some sugar in it and you pour it in over the SCOBY. And the bacteria and the yeast ferment it a little bit. And you you have a lightly carbonated beverage at the end. Um, it's not alcoholic. I don't mm-hmm. think you could... I Like, knowing what I know about bio- microbiology, the in a healthy SCOBY, I don't think you could make a very alcoholic beverage out of this at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure you probably can detect levels of alcohol, but I don't think it's anything that counts. Um, and... I just enjoyed doing that and it was something quick and easy and uh, but then I found myself in a position here this spring where I had made some and then it all turned to vinegar because I didn't take the time I didn't say no or I didn't say how about tomorrow or how about in 30 minutes I did not take the time to bottle my kombucha and it turned to vinegar Hmm. which you know if anybody needs two gallons of vinegar <laughs> for anything. I mean, I guess you could clean with it if it's not sticky still, um, if you let all the sugar ferment out of it. But uh, it's a, it's really not that pleasant to drink once it gets that vinegary. Yeah, maybe you could kill weeds with it or something. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I, I don't know. Um, that's a lot of salad dressing. Yeah, there I don't you know. go. There you go, the kombucha salad dressing, bottle that. So yeah. what do you see for yourself, KT? What do you see next? Um, that's a that's a really big question that I don't have any really solid answers to. I like teaching, and I always waffle back and forth between remaining in my high school job and trying to maybe go into higher education or something like that and we have a lot of issues in education all the way around so I don't know if moving to higher education solves all of my you know I don't know if that's how I get to the unicorn perfect job thing you know and really is there a unicorn perfect job maybe but will I find it in my lifetime who knows um I really like beekeeping and have enjoyed learning about and researching and actually doing research projects on bees. And so as soon as they've got the test written for me to finish the journeyman level, I'll be moving to the master level of the master beekeeper program. And that'll be another opportunity to do a science fair project. I say science fair project lightly. It's more intense than science fair. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll, I fully intend to do the next step of my my research that goes with my my master's level research and see if I can start teasing out some of the implications of you know what happens to the bees when they do eat the corn grain dust mm-hmm. and um, I don't really know what goes on from there I I don't know we'll see we'll see. I think being like, in a position, being uh-huh. in a position where I remember to say yes to things, mm-hmm. has been a good way for me to set myself up for opportunities. So we'll see if any of these opportunities that I've been experiencing here lately have 
any longer term paths. So I'm reading some of our notes from our, our prepping conversation and something that resonated with me was uh, you, you said letting other others' priorities supersede your own in this concept of balance and saying yes and no. And so what have you found? What would you say might be helpful to others on assuming the priorities are, uh, of others um, and, and putting yourself first? That's a really hard thing to do. What, what, what kind of words of wisdom uh, might you give others or your experience or just take a little bit deeper dive into that one a little bit? So I come from a position where there might be time to go do something, but when dad decided, okay, we're going to go do something, it's we are all going to go do something. It's not everybody has a day off. It's dad has decided we're going to go see a movie. Dad has decided this is how we're spending our day. And so as an adult, that's been a, a I, I don't know, an interesting way to spend my summers where here I am and I, I haven't... It hasn't been such a big deal since COVID, but before COVID, you know, I, I, I was 33 at the point and dad ran my summers because that's just how it had always worked in the past. And, and as a 33 year old adult, I had never stepped out of my comfort zone or his comfort zone enough to say, but I want to do this instead. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so... It doesn't have to be a big major change. It can just be, you know, try a thing once and see how it goes mm-hmm. or or pick up a new hobby. I, I don't know. It could be something as simple as kombucha, mm-hmm. but have something that's your project mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of think about your time that you have that might be available and what you might be able to commit. And kombucha might be an easy example because it doesn't really take that much time to brew some tea and put some sugar in it and pour it on the scoby. And then bottling the kombucha also doesn't take that much time, mm-hmm. but it does take, I mean, you have to set aside 30 or 40 minutes to, to make sure that everything's clean and to get it into the bottles and cap it off. Mm-hmm. But in order to make that choice for yourself, you need to put yourself in a position where you're willing to commit. And so think about, you know, how big of a commitment are you willing to make and start making little steps and making little commitments. And, and if things are going well, you can take on bigger commitments and eventually bigger commitments lead into transitions and changes. And that's been an interesting thing in my life. And right now I think I'm in the middle of one of those because my beekeeping has taken a lot of my summer this year. And Mm -hmm. I don't really know where that is going or how it's going to add up, but here I am. So what it, so to follow up with that, what did it feel like, like taking yourself back to the first time you thought, you know, I'm going to do 30 minutes for myself, (laughs) (laughs) uh, whatever that was, you know, what, what did it, what did it feel like when you did that? So it was, it's probably something that I was way less conscious of for a while, because when, when I first started teaching, my district had five day school weeks. And so I had time to get my grading done and time to do my laundry and still time to spend an an evening doing whatever I wanted to do on whatever project or hobby I wanted to spend an evening a week on, and maybe more than an evening. 
Um, sometimes I, some weeks I might have two evenings to spend. And so it, it wasn't such a big deal when I was only coming back two days a week to work on the farm. But then when my district switched to four days a week, I didn't have time to get everything I needed done, done in a week and spend time on myself. And so it put me in a position where I spent that first year really just chasing my tail because I didn't have time to spend on myself. And when I decided that I was, the first thing I, my first commitment that I made actually was, okay, you know, the second year, I'm going to spend a one night a week over at a friend's house. And that was kind of this big, scary commitment, but I, I did it outside of my weekends at the farm. But it was a good place for me to really realize the importance of making sure I was spending and, and making time to spend mm -hmm. on myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it was... It, it, I think I transitioned into it fairly easily because I started with something that was really on my time and I didn't have anybody else as a single adult. Um, and so I, I would go over to my friend's house and hang out with her and her husband and her kids and we'd eat food and, you know, play with the kids. And it was just a, a good time and, and good conversation. And that was important for my self-care. Mm -hmm. And then I... Once I became comfortable in that, I started adding more things, but really it's been kind of, I don't know. I can't say that it's been cathartic yet, but I think we might be aiming towards that direction, but mm -hmm. it's been relieving, I guess, mm -hmm. to see that, you know, the, the world doesn't fall down around anybody mm -hmm. when I choose to go work in my apiary for a day yeah um you know i think the whole part of um you know especially growing up in a in, in an environment that is that is controlled for whatever reason whether it's farming or whatever that you know as we kind of go into adulthood how do we kind of find ourselves explore ourselves and and continue to figure and, and it that's okay to be different I think that's okay to have different interests and uh, that's part of kind of growing into adulthood and becoming in our 30s and 40s of of just exploring that and that's that that's okay would you agree with that <laughs> oh yes I think it's I think not just okay I think it's important because you know at, at some point every little bird is supposed to get pushed out of the nest right right and right. It's not that I never went out and did anything on my own. It was just that I always came back to a place where my schedule was dictated for me. And mm -hmm. and it's not always bad that that's happening, I guess. But mm -hmm. it doesn't leave room for self-care if mm -hmm. the people dictating your schedule aren't conscious of that. Yeah. It's, it's not a priority for them. And I think it's easy for them to not realize what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I so appreciate you being with me today, KT. Your story is just so interesting, and you shared such wonderful words of wisdom for us. Is there any, anything else you'd just like to add to close or how, how to find you or if people want to connect? 
Oh, I don't even know. This whole thing is so new to me. I don't I don't have any handles or anything. I am on <laughs> Facebook as KT Thompson. Okay. <laughs> um and and I guess if you start Googling science teachers, you'll eventually find me. But um probably Facebook is the easiest way. Um and follow but, you. All your yeah. interesting things you're doing, for sure. Um all right. Well, um So I really appreciate you being with me today. And with that, I think we are all, we're all wrapped up. Thank you, Lisa. It's been a pleasure. So that's a wrap for today. We've so enjoyed you being with us. I hope you learned something new, got some inspiration, and you are ready to move forward with your own new season. Remember, we are living life at any age. Take some time to visit the other social media sites. Give us some feedback. Shoot me an email on Facebook. And remember, until then, stay safe and keep on living. Cheers. Cheers.